Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Happy 150th birthday, Chicago Public Library. You don't look a day over 100. I'm Natalie Moore in for Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. When you want to read something new, the library beckons. You can spend an afternoon weaving through the stacks, pulling books off the shelves as they catch your eye, and leaping through the pages. But it wasn't always that way. Patrons weren't always free to browse through books. Originally, Chicagoans requested and picked up books at their neighborhood store. It wasn't until the early 1900s when a man named Henry Legler envisioned a different format, well-stocked regional branches, where browsing became a part of the library experience. And according to CPL, this was a first in the nation. This story of how the Chicago Public Library became what we know today is told in a new six-part podcast called Library for the People. It celebrates 150 years of the folks who have shaped the institution. Allison Cuddy is the host of the podcast, and she joins us now. Allison, we got to ask, what do you love about the library? Well, what's not to love about libraries? As you said, it's a great place to find new books, but to follow your curiosity wherever it takes you. Um, They're an incredible community resource, a place where people can come together and get to know one another. Their their history is fascinating. Doing this podcast, uh, discovering just how important a library city Chicago is, right? That um, we're home to one of the largest libraries in the country, in the world, in fact, that we are home to the American Library Association, which just wrapped up its big uh, annual conference here. 15,000 librarians hit the streets of Chicago. Um, You can get a great education in how to be a librarian here. Um, But also, it's just... um, They've been so important to how our city has developed from the Great Fire to our current moment when libraries both get a lot of love, but they're also under a lot of stress. You know, there's a certain map that looks the same in Chicago when you're mapping segregation, inequality. But the one thing that that map does not ever do is show disparities with Chicago public libraries. They are in every single community. So... From a democracy standpoint, that's what I love about libraries. And I, I go, I have li- like Zola, my daughter, got her library card when she wasn't even one years old. Yeah. So we are our patrons and they're just such a, a public service. Um, I did a quick poll this morning of the Reset team. And here are some comments that the producers gave about what they love. Uh, one said that the library is one of the first places her mom let her walk alone. It was an exciting destination, and she'd go there to get all the books on the summer reading list. Another producer said her favorite childhood library memory was learning that there was no limit to the amount of books she could buy borrow. She checked out the entire Sailor Moon manga series. Um, I think in Chicago, because my daughter feels the same way, she was like, you can check out a hundred books. Right. And keep them as long as you want. As long as you want. (laughs) Uh, Two people on the team said that they were able to learn a new skill or hobby at the library because we know they're not just books, community programming, events. And from one of the parents on the team, there's a great selection of books for kids. And there's an easy-to-use app where you can put holds on any book in the entire system and have it delivered to your branch. Yeah. 
We've had a great, we, all of our commissioners have been really innovative and enterprising. And so it is fantastic how in recent years, the library has become so accessible, not only the branch system. And that was the the vision from early on, right, that every community should have a branch within walking distance, um, but also now that we can access it through our phones or online, that we can get the information that we want. I mean, I've been writing a book, and I know you as an author, Natalie, we know how important mm-hmm. not just the books that are there, but the archives are. And it's an incredible place to do research, to learn what you need to know, um, to, to continue your projects, and, and you can access all of that. Uh, a couple of years ago, someone posted on Facebook that they knew someone whose child was going to major in library sciences. And the person wrote, why would someone do that? And the comments were, do you know how libraries work? Like it doesn't even living in a digital age, libraries are still necessary and librarians are still necessary. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the conceit of the podcast is this is very much about the people who make libraries work. So that's you and me and all the people who use libraries, who bring our children there for story hour or go there for our own uh, purposes um, to check out. You can check out movies. You can get books for your Kindle. Um, but it's also um, a place where, you know, everyone is welcome and 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 people really f- express that need. Yeah. I think about how you can be unhoused right. and not get kicked out, how you might overdose and there's Narcan that's there. So really for for anyone, we have a caller already. Um, we have Rita in Albany Park. Hi, Rita. Hi, um, I'm a Chicago Public Schools librarian, and um, there are two things in particular that I really appreciate appreciate about the Chicago Public Library system. One is that um, anyone can put books on hold and have them transferred to their local library. Um, that's really helpful, especially for students who aren't able to travel to access a book um, that they need for a research project. Um, secondly, the, the online databases are invaluable. Um, the Chicago Public Schools subscribes to some databases, but having students be able to access the Chicago Public Library databases really prepares them for uh, college-level research. So I really appreciate that. Absolutely. We have to talk about this moment that we're in, book bans across mm-hmm. the country. And CPL declared itself a sanctuary of books. How do you hope the podcast informs the debate? Well, I think it, I hope people, um, and I think, you know, it is fantastic that our state has also taken the step to be opposed to any book bans at a, at a library, right? So we're really in a in great shape here. But if you look across the country to understand the stakes of this, the kind of books that people are asking to be removed from shelves, um, that's one of the things that we talk about with Commissioner Chris Brown and with Tracy Hall, the head of the ALA how um, intense the pressure is on libraries and librarians and the kind of work, um, representations of black life, of, of indigenous life, of queer life. We're just coming off pride celebrations. Those are the targets. And so it's really about trying to, um, you know, repress the stories of individuals. And, and in a moment when the library is celebrating by saying, you know, we have stories to tell, the library is a place for we, the people, all of us, right? It's not just for some people, it's for all of us. Let's go back to the beginning of the Chicago Public Library. Here's urban historian Sherman Dilla Thomas talking on the podcast. 
Before the Great Chicago Fire of 1871, we didn't necessarily have a city library. Basically, rich dudes had collections of books, and if you knew a rich dude, you could borrow a book. But then after the Great Chicago Fire of 1871, those books burned. A lot of private collections burned. And uh, oddly enough, someone on the other side of the pond, uh, Queen Victoria, heard that Chicago had burned, uh, and so did our books. Uh, she thought it would be wise of her to send us a book. He goes on to say that other people around the world heard about this and also sent books, serving as the basis of what we know today. That is quite an origin story, that public library comes from destruction and generosity. What's yeah. your takeaway? Well, I think that that continue not the destruction part, but the generosity, right? I think the library, if there's an ethos to it, it is a space of generosity, as you were talking earlier, you know, that children can go in and take, they can take whatever book they want. It's a real important step in autonomy, in freedom. That was one of the things that I realized going from branch to branch on the podcast. We take, you know, field trips all over across the city to some of the regional branches, to U Media Labs to see what's going on. And the sense of freedom people have in the space of libraries is really incredible. So it's it's paradoxical, right, that people are trying to, in the name of rights, say that some people don't have those. So I would say that um, if you haven't been to a library in a while, go back and hang out in one because it's a really wonderful, welcoming space. I know that librarians... Um, don't like when people talk about how much they love libraries as a kid. And they're like, well, you can go as an adult. Like, this doesn't have to be something that ends at childhood. Right. I was surprised that browsing wasn't a part of the original design of libraries, that you would go to a shop in your neighborhood, request a book, and then pick it up. Talk about that format. Yeah, so that's not unusual, and there are still libraries um, in the city where that is the process. But I think what the history of Chicago Public Library is to me is sort of a call and response between the community and the library, right? Figuring it out together. What actually do we need in a library, and how can we best serve them? That's definitely the story of how we got the branch system. Before that, they tried all these different, as you were talking about at the beginning, different methods for getting books to people. Um, but I mean, that uh, that sense of browsing, which Susan Orlean, who wrote the library book, a great book, if you haven't read it, about the L.A. Public Library and a fire that that hit that library in 1984 or so, um, talks about browsing as not just an activity in a library, but really it's a human uh, experience, right? It's something that makes us human. It's the way we learn. Like we might go in to get one book on a shelf, but then we'll start scanning to see what else is there. And then suddenly like we're <laughs> digging this deep dive into an area of interest. So I think it's a critical part of how libraries work. We have another caller. Jasmine in South Shore has a comment. Hi, Jasmine. Hi, hello. I just wanted to say I love my local library, the South Shore branch. Um, and it's been really cool because I'm studying for nursing school right now, um, and I've been able to get all of my study materials uh, for the T's entrance exam, as well as, like, you know, just practicing for NCLEX and everything um, at my local library. So I am obsessed. My three-year-old is obsessed, and we, yeah, we just really appreciate TPO. Wonderful. Well, let's listen to a bit of the library archivist, Allison, you spoke with about the downsides of this system. You could not go to a bookshelf and pick a book off the shelf. You had to request a book from an assistant. Um, and that was 
it was very patronizing, if you like, because it was almost like we didn't trust people to pick the books and it was very slow and if the assistant was busy, you had to wait and if you filled the slip in wrong, you didn't get the book. You know, there, there was lots of impediments. And obviously that system <laughs> doesn't exist anymore, but uh, talk about some of the ways that the library system has evolved. Oh, so many ways. Um well, so we talked about, yeah, now you can just go in and get the books yourself. You can order them or, you know, through your phone. You can get them transferred to your own branch. I am a Blackstone Library branch. It's the first dedicated uh, branch in a community. So I love that about it. Um, right. But, uh, in Kenwood, right, right behind Kenwood High School. Right. You got it. Um, and um, but I mean, we talked a little bit earlier about some of the programmings. If you are wanting to learn another language or English as a second language, the library is a space for that. If you have health issues, we were at Carter G. Woodson and um, they're doing all kinds of things around making the library safe for people who have dementia or other kinds of cognitive issues. Um you can check out um, a blood pressure cuff from your library, just like you can a book or a movie or a CD. So um, I think that what's interesting in the Chicago Public Library Foundation has been really important in helping support this kind of programming or programming that features authors in conversation. Uh, you and I have both been part of those programs, um, is that the library is constantly evolving to meet the needs of the community. I love that um, the caller we heard from going to South Shore to get the books she needs to become a nurse. When we were at the George C. Hall branch in Bronzeville, which is another historic branch. It My was former. Your former. Branch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the first um, neighborhood library built for African-Americans in particular as a result of the Great Migration. When I was there talking to the librarian there, they had an exhibition about the history of nursing in Chicago, at Providence and elsewhere, and particularly African-American nurses and their contributions. So you walk into a library and there are things you're not expecting to discover, but that are there for you that can really transform um, your experience of the city. So speaking of Carter G. Woodson, yeah. the Vivian Harsh Collection is there, which is the largest black archives in the Midwest, uh, named after Vivian Harsh, who was a branch manager at uh, the George C. Hall branch. Tell us more about her. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we often talk about librarians as stars, although I think they are stars. But if, if there are stars of the Chicago Public Library and library system, Vivian G. Harsh was clearly one of them. Um, she was hired. She was the first African-American to lead a branch. She was hired specifically for the George C. Hall branch. She assembled an amazing team of female um, librarians, including the fabulous Charlemagne Hill Rollins, who was a ch children's librarian, very dedicated to changing the representation of black children in literature, children's literature. But they essentially, um, they were, they did community outreach, right? They were trying to make this library work for that community. And part of that was collecting um, history, important materials, um, historic, contemporary, otherwise, um, for people to learn more about their own story, right? And in doing that, they also started um, developing a kind of reputation. They had like speakers series. And so um, writers like Gwendolyn Brooks, Richard Wright, Langston Hughes would come there, give lectures, um, do their research for the writing they were doing. And the archive that is now housed at Carter G. Woodson and eventually moved to that regional library reflects all that activity. So it's a fascinating history, again, of our city, of black history in general, and of the library. 
We often think about Harlem when we think about black black arts and Renaissance, but Vivian Harsh was holding these salons and doing so much for the black arts movement in Chicago. And I did a story years ago on the anniversary of Vivian Harsh and the, the, the collection, and they I didn't get to go into the stacks, but they brought out so many cool things, including letters that Zora Neale Hurston and Langston Hughes were were writing each other. Yeah, I was surprised to discover Charlotte Mayhill Rollins was also, she wrote children's literature, for example. So there's a letter between uh, from Langston Hughes to her that makes it so clear how close they were, what good friends they were. I think he blurbed one of her books for her. So they... They not only collected these materials, they created a network of um, black creativity um, and people who were really interested in preserving culture and, and getting the word out. So just not to be underestimated, the work that they, de- they did that's continuing to be discovered by scholars and others. And every single book I've written has started with research at Vivian G. Harsh. Wow, that's yeah. great. Yep. The library is one of the few places you don't have to have money to be, to use it. Yeah. Um, anyone can visit. And I, I think about the political climate that we're in. And if someone, if we, if libraries didn't exist and someone said, let's start something called a public library system, the amount, it just wouldn't even happen right. politically. Right. People would be in shock. So, I mean, an- another reason to celebrate um, this milestone in the library's history, but also get yourself to a library, continue to use them. I think that what makes them so vital, that they are um, hubs of activity in every community and anything you could possibly want to do. Uh, I have a friend who decided to start um, a Spanish language speaking club, you know, once a month at Blackstone. Now they have like 20 or more people who show up, you know, every month to do this. And it, it and, and libraries are really incredible places for something like that to happen. It's not easy to make that happen. I mean, maybe online we can all jump on and comment on each other's experiences. But to gather people in person like that, to have a meaningful experience, I think is a is a special and unique um, aspect of the library. Before we let you go quickly, what stories are upcoming? Who will we meet next in the podcast? Oh, so many people. Um, so you will, um, I'm wondering how much to give away. We're going to talk to another Chicagoan, Eric Kleinenberg, um, who wrote about the social life of libraries. So we're going to go deep inside that and see what that looks like um, for young people, especially. Um, we're going to end the podcast um, with a really special guest doing a little speculative um, thinking about the future of I the library. I think I know who it is, but I won't give it away. Um. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to, you know, we'll be releasing. So the first two episodes are out now, so you can take a deep dive into some of the early history of the library, but also learn what branches are doing today and learn about the regional system. But coming up, we're really going to dive into what libraries look like today and all the amazing stuff happening. So I just want to, um, you know, convince you to keep tuning in to Library for the People. Wonderful. Well, we've been talking to Allison Cuddy, host of the Library for the People podcast. She's my friend, and she's also former host of WBEZ's 848 <laughs> and former artistic director of the Chicago Humanities Festival. Thanks for coming by, Allison. It, you're, we are welcome, Natalie. <laughs> it was super fun. This episode of Reset was produced by Linnea Dominic and edited by Ethan Schwab. Want more Reset on the go? Sign up for our free newsletter. Go 
go to WBEC.org slash Reset News to sign up. We'll have a new episode of Reset for you this afternoon. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.